Hey, Teresa. Yeah? Which mythical creature is the biggest fan of drag shows? I don't know which one. Drag on. Ah, uh, itch manners. I had I had a feeling that it might be dragon, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure exactly where you were going with it. Dragon, so I, I was playing in the space. With you did you. great. Yes. Yeah, oh, now you're floating in space. Floating look in the hands. space. Woo! Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Say your thing. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. Extraordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. So glad I can keep you on task. Well, I, that's the thing, man. If, if <laughs> it, You know how there's that urban legend of, like, if you put a penny on the train tracks, you'll, you can derail the train? Oh, you know yeah. I mean? That's my brain is that easily derailed where all I had to think is, like, drag on. So, um, where are we? What's happening? Who am I? Yeah. Uh, right off the bat, just want to say sorry. We missed last week. Uh, so this conflagration of events, if you will, of Teresa uh, mysteriously injured her foot. Mm-hmm. So she, her foot was in a little boot and she, a cute little booty, and she had to <laughs> rest and I got a vasectomy. <laughs> so I had to rest. So we were both like, oh no, kids. And so it was just <laughs> it was a tough week but we're back but we're back and uh just very excited the second half of this episode uh we've already recorded it's absolutely great we were joined by uh amazing guest lady phaedra uh who answered all of your questions about drag show etiquette and just drag shows in general basically anything i could think of because that's what this show is about drag shows yeah Teresa, have you been to many drag shows i have been to a a couple drag shows there was a really awesome club in Dayton, where I grew up, where I saw several drag shows. It was loads of fun. You know, you might be surprised to learn there was also a great club in Huntington, West Virginia, where I saw a couple great drag shows growing up. Awesome. Uh, you know, these days, haven't made it downtown as my or yeah. two shows. Uh, but, you know, Lady Phaedra was saying that she does a show uh, twice a month at the Cabaret, which I think is at Below Zero. I'm not sure. We might have to check that out. Go down and support her mm-hmm. and all the performers. Um, we would also like to thank our listener, Sarah M., uh, who sent a very kind email and suggested drag shows. Also, happy Pride Month, everybody. Yeah. From your internet husband and wife. Were your internet <laughs> parents? No. No? Just, just from Teresa and Travis. Happy Pride, everybody. Okay. So we're going to talk about drag, and if you want to learn more, there's some really great things you can check out. Alex recommends the movie Paris is Burning. Uh, Also, Kiki, I Am Divine, and Mala Mala. Uh, You can also read the work of Joey Jeffries, um, a theater teacher and historian at NYU Tisch. Um, and I mean, there's loads of books here. And I'll say right off the bat, because Lady Phaedra mentions it in in the questions, right? But uh, th- this this falls into a category of things where I think a, this is something a lot of people think that they know a lot about, mm-hmm. 
even if they've never like looked into it or gone to shows or anything because they've seen it on TV or in movies oh, or they've watched yeah. reality shows. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is as is true of a lot of things, that is uh, at best a accurate but small like view of it. And right. there's so much history and world to it. And that's if it's even accurate, right? Sure. There's a lot of times where it's like, oh, no, 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 this is just kind of a dramatic, dramatized version yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, an exaggeration, perhaps. Exaggeration, yes, thank you. Yeah. So Jonathan David, Catherine Tremayev, and Nan Richardson are the author of Drag Diaries. Um, and here is a little bit of uh, their interpretation of the of the breakdown of drag, okay? Okay. Um, so there's two main starting places. The first place is a lot of the ancient ceremonies conducted by Native Americans, ancient Egyptians, and indigenous South American cultures had elements of drag in them. Mm. So it was part of, you know, it was evoking the gods or religious incantations or warding off evil spirits. In fact, there are widely documented accounts of drag among the Aztecs and the Incans and the Egyptians. And I mean, name an ancient civilization and there was drag involved in their religious practices and their entertainment. Well, I'm sure this is probably jumping ahead, but I mean, pretty famously, if you look at Elizabethan England, right, women were not allowed to perform on stage. So Mm -hmm. if you had a female character... It was a, a a man, yes, playing that that female character. Indeed. And one of the things I think is interesting to keep in mind about that is, uh, unless it was specifically a comic character, mm-hmm. it was not p- played for laughs, right? No. That was just the way that it was done, right? Which is why it's always funny well, to me, by the way, the, in the Pyramus and Thisbe bit in Midsummer Night's Dream, that they play it as a joke that Thisbe is played by a uh, flute. I think. Well, but the mechanicals are the joke. Right. But the jo- it's kind of like a joke on a joke. Like, you know, yeah, it's just well, like, well, that's the convention. Why is he being weird about it? Shakespeare. <laughs> that guy. So meta. That um, person. That many people. Who knows? Who knows? That invention. That ghost. That alien. We are derailed again. You're correct. In Japanese theater, um, drag divides the kabuki and the Noah. No dramas. Excuse me. The no dramas. Uh, so... Kabuki is a little more popular at this point um, just because it's a little less ritualistic than no drama. But both of these are kind of like, it's like almost like a folk dance, Yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. very stylized, the moves. Very representational, Yeah, too. very representational. One um, of my favorite effects in theater is the, like, red ribbons as blood. Right. right? Oh, I love that. It's so cool and beautiful when it's done right, especially, like, in a dance scenario. Yeah. Oh, love it. Um, and we already mentioned uh, uh, English theater. Um, I mean, also, like, church theater pageant pageants were yeah. the same. Um, and there is a point where religion and uh, entertainment divide, not because religion didn't want it, but because they needed a bigger production value. Yeah. <laughs> they just wanted it to be bigger, better, and well, awesome. And remember, man, for a long time, especially when we're talking about Cromwell, right? Like this idea of... Well, even before that, I mean... Most of the people who attended church couldn't even read. 
So the way that other than, you know, people talking at you uh, was to act it out. But then theater was like barely happening. Like you had to be very careful Mm. if you had a theater running in like Elizabethan England that you weren't getting shut down left and right. And people were right. They had like there were theaters popping up all over the place because like one theater would get closed down and they would move to a different theater because basically theaters operated because the church let them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of restrictions to it. Anyways, that's a different story. We could talk about Elizabethan theater in a different episode. Right. Um, so the history is complicated, as as it sounds, yes. And the origins of drag also have a bit of a sexist component to reckon with, sure, right? Sure, So the church obviously didn't put men in dresses as, like, advocacy for trans rights or anything, right? Rather, just like you said, women weren't allowed. Weren't allowed. Yeah. They were omitted from performing entirely. Um, so it was improper, right? Like, that was their view is, like, or that it was, I can't remember, uh, it was illicit in some way for women to perform or just that they weren't allowed to. Do you know? Uh, I'm not quite certain. I think different different religions and cultures have different uh, reasons, but generally, they just weren't. See, I need to remember. This is something I need to research because I can't remember if it was just like theater is seen as debauchery and so having inherently debaucherous. Anyways, hmm. having a woman there is bad. Or is it just like, oh, no, women shouldn't be allowed to do what they want? It's probably, <laughs> probably a combination of both. Probably a yeah. combination. <laughs> Um, so, like you said, boys would jo- young boys would join acting troops exclusively to work as female characters. Um, and so this is why, you know, plays of the era tend to usually have maybe one or two females mm-hmm. in them, right? So let's go back to Romeo and Juliet. If you have you have a young boy, playing Juliet, Mm -hmm. then you can cast an old man as the nurse. And as Lady Capulet and, yeah, Lady Montague. Right, yeah. Yeah. So that's where those those tropes kind of come from, right? But there aren't as many female characters because there weren't as many people who were adept at doing it. Yeah. Is the thing. Well, and once your voice changes, right? Like, then you get falsetto. I mean, sure. But not for, like, the entire show. Not for a part as big as, like, Julia. It's not important. Does this make them drag queens, though? No. Well, there is an interesting debate mm-hmm. in, in when you talk about theater and men playing female characters, right? One of them that gets brought up a lot is Lady Bracknell in mm-hmm. uh, Importance of Being Earnest, right? Right. And I think that there is... Something to the kit, you mentioned the nurse is a great example, right? Right. Where the nurse is a big, broad character, right? Mm -hmm. That is the, she is a zany character that does have some dramatic moments, but like she has so many scenes with Juliet where the jokes are, she is so big and dramatic. And And she's typically big bosomed. Big bosomed. She references it a lot, right? And so then the question is, is, is it funny because it's a man dressed as a woman or is it funny because it is being well done in a huge, overly dramatic way. Right. Right. And that would be where I would lean into there is an element of drag where it's not necessarily just that it is someone in drag, but also that they are big and brassy and, you know, campy and bold. And that's part, I don't know, that's that's where the I mean, debate is. 
we're 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 going to say that Elizabethan boy actors were probably not quite drag queens. Mm. The drag queens we think of today didn't really emerge until the 19th and 20th centuries. So in the late 1800s, the act of dressing as a different gender took on an entirely new form. So there were female impersonators, mm. right, which I think is is different. Um and that was a a, a standard vaudeville trope in the late 30s, 1930s, excuse me. And, you know, again, these were based on I on Commedia dell'arte almost. So you have like the prima donna. And we're talking explicitly about the on-stage side, right? Because right, there yeah, were people, vaudeville. There there were there was a real world side of this that b- goes into like non-binary and transgender exactly. where it was for some reason, way more acceptable that it was done on stage. And if you did it off stage, it was like, oh, no, people better not find out or you are in serious danger. And yeah, yeah. no, this was this is all about on stage. Um, And, you know, the the things like the wench or the nagging shrew and and, and things like that. These caricature parts. That was the point. That's what it is. The point of Commedia dell'arte was someone could see it and immediately know. From the way you were dressed or the props you carried, like, okay, great. I know everything I need to know about that character. I don't need to be educated in theater. I don't need to think about their motivations or whatever. That's Pantalone. I know everything about that dude mm-hmm. just from looking at him. I played Pantalone in a bunch of stuff. Um, and I was good at it. <laughs> great job. Thanks, babe. So the first true drag queens probably performed in bars. Okay. Makes sense. Um, in the 1950s uh, is is a is an early example. Uh, Jose Serrara at San Francisco's Black Cat is a bar in there, um, and so you know performing at places like the 82 Club in New York or a largely heterosexual audience, and you know they would probably be. They didn't call themselves drag queens. They were still performers, right? right? Well, because this was all masked and covered. Like, that's the thing is, like, you say primarily heterosexual audience. Who knows during that time, right? Because, like, it was so, like, uh, taboo, Mm -hmm. right, that you had to be very careful about how you worded your thing and how you presented yourself and, like, the environment and all of that stuff. Right. So the 20th century is when the art of drag queen actually evolved into a means of self-expression. Mm. Right. And people started populating these like mostly gay spaces. Right. Quote, gay bars or whatever. Um, and so it became less of the performance and more of an embodiment. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. I, I am not a member of the LGBTQI play A plus community. Um, but it makes sense to me as we're talking about, you know, this is Pride Month, right? And right. so for a long time, th- if you existed in those spaces, if if that was who you were, right, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of opportunity to be yourself in public, right? And right. so it makes sense to me that there is then this uh, performance that is, you know, primarily personified in like flashy, brassy, campy, big, like proud performance because it was this like, here is like three and a half minutes on stage where I can be as big about 
who I am as I want to be. Yeah. Right? And so in that moment, you're going to make the most of it. Right? So of course it's going to be big and flashy and brassy and everything. Right? Because of how restricted you're going to feel in the rest of your life. Right? So it makes complete sense to me how the art form evolved out of the oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some... Uh emerging at this point in the in the 80s iconic drag artists drag queens um so there is at this point largely due to the experimental east village like performance scene in new york there are uh lordess and divine uh we want to talk specifically about divine uh she was a legendary drag queen out of baltimore who collaborated with the um awesome director john waters uh yeah yeah divine was plus sized uh loud bold uh could sing and a drag queen that thrived on attitude and shock value Mm. divine made drag queens cool and punky Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned the 80s, and it just kind of clicked for me. Like, it also makes sense why so much of, like, drag culture, I think, today, we associate with, like, certain divas, too. And there was so much of, like, Mm -hmm. the impersonation of people like Cher and Madonna and Tina Turner and this kind of thing. Right. Because these are, this is a time period, right, in the 80s and 90s where a lot of female singers were flashy and campy and big and brassy and, as we say, divas, right? Where it wasn't just about, like, I'm going to sing a sad song very quietly uh, about my man leaving me. It was like a celebration of, like, this is who I am. I am powerful. I'm doing this thing. And it's like you can see very easily how that then connects to drag culture. Exactly. And as what we now think of as drag queens emerged, mainstream media did continue to produce jokes about men dressing as women, but this is where we start to see a noticeable shift. The drag queen becomes less of a punchline, less of a garish creature who should be feared, right? Uh, and and I want to specifically point out the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, mm. right? Um you start to see media showing drag queens as like people. Yeah. <laughs> these are these are people. Uh, not just a mask that you put on. Um, and so there are there are lots of incredible drag documentaries. Um, Paris is Burning, like I said, is often hailed as the most iconic. Uh, in this documentary, they talk about the Harlem drag balls, uh, competitive and intricate subcultures. And this is where the safe spaces for the LGBTQ plus community begin to express themselves. Um, the one that I want to look into more that Lady Phaedra mentions in the questions mm-hmm. is uh, spooky drag. Oh, I would like to find out more about this, please. That sounds straight up my alley. I love that idea very much. Yeah, anyway, I bet there's a lot of Elvira influence there. Oh, yeah. Um, can't wait to find out more about it. I'm betting, you know what? We have some friends in New York that I bet if I said, hey, if I came around uh, around Halloween, could you take me to some really fun spooky drag show? <laughs> I bet the answer is like, I, do we have time to hit all of them? Um, so let me real quick then run down some etiquette for a drag show. Oh, please. 
please be aware of where the performance takes place. Don't walk where someone is performing. Um, a lot of drag performances include the entire room, right? It's yeah. not just a stage or a runway anymore. Phaedra talks about that as well. Crowd work is very important, especially since we talk about it in the questions too. Tipping mm-hmm. is, is a very important element of that. It's how uh, a lot of performers are able to afford the things that they need to continue doing it. Right. And so the crowd working and moving throughout the room is a big part of that. Um, drink responsibly. Everybody wants to have a good time, but please, you know, make sure that if you're in a bar where you are imbibing alcohol, uh, you know, be cool. This is true of just about any performance you'll attend. Yeah. One of the important things to remember is it's not about your experience. Mm-hmm. It's a collective experience that everyone is having at that moment. And also, no matter how uh, big and brassy, as I've said many times, and crowd worky and uh, kind of like spur of the moment, seat of the pants, the show might feel, mm-hmm. that is usually something that the performers works really hard to make feel like it's yeah, for to the cultivate. moment while being uh, very rehearsed, right? right so right. don't make the show about you. Yes, absolutely. But if, feel free to participate if invited. Yeah, if if you know you go uh, with uh, whatever you're celebrating, I think that a lot of perf- that a lot of performers are very happy to kind of like include you in the show, give you a moment, maybe sing happy birthday, but then you're done. Okay, it's not your show; it's theirs. And tip well for feeling special. Of That's just course. a good general rule. Tip well for feeling special. You can uh, cheer as much as you like. Get loud, clap, whistle, whatever, you know, whatever the room is doing. Yeah, go read for the room. it. Yeah, yeah. Go for I it. I assume it's probably not going to be a very somber drag show. That would be very strange. But if you end up at one of those, be respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, no booing. No, 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 no. No booing, no heckling. Once again, man, that feeling of like, oh, this is so like wild and seat of the pants and chaotic. That is a cultivated energy and does not mean like that person is not your friend. Don't give them a hard time like you would your buddy or whatever. And don't do that to your buddies either. Just a side note. Just be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. Do not touch the queens. Mm. They are performing. They're not uh, asking for a date. Right. And, and, and same with your tips. Hold your tips out in your hand. Let them, the performer, come to you. Don't, like, put it in your mouth or anything. Gross. And also, even even if you're like, well, I didn't touch them. I just touched their outfits. You don't know how expensive those outfits are. It's true. Don't get your fingerprints all over it and tear it stuff. Come on. Grow up. Uh, And, you know, like any other performer, I would say the only performer who accepts coins are street performers when they're like or buskers. Right. Sure. Don't don't throw coins at people. No, that's not good. No. Support the bar. uh, Even if you uh, just get a soda, tip your bartender, too. They are working hard as well. And, you know, be cool. Yeah. Just, just be cool, be you cool, know. Come on, nice. Don't, Midnight, <laughs> Midnight amendments. Don't take things too seriously. Support your queens, and you know, remember that these are safe spaces for people from every spot on in the galaxy. Yeah, Lady Fader talks, and we'll get to that in just a second. I promise. Talks a lot about like wanting that that she specifically wants to create a space where people feel welcome, right? Mm-hmm. But I will also say, hey, take it from me. Uh, 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 someone who's not in the LGBTQIA community, go support. Yeah. Go tip. Go donate. Don't make it about you. 
Okay, uh, we're going to be right back with your questions. Uh, but first, how about a thank you note to our sponsors? Yay! Hey there, friends. Let's talk about socks. Believe you me, they can make all the difference. Because, listen, workouts are hard, and sometimes just like getting up, having the energy to walk around and do things is hard. So why not have a sock that's not only comfortable, but also supportive? Bombas Performance Socks are stitched with special moisture-wicking yarn and temperature-regulating vents that allow cool airflow in and prevent overheating. They come with a pillow-like tab, and that's absolutely true, to save you from blisters. They've got stay-up technology, a special arch-hugging system, and an extra layer of cushioning comfort on the bottom for the perfect amount of support. Even when I'm not doing things, which is most of the time, if I'm being honest, I still like to wear them because they're so comfortable. It just, it feels good to wear them no matter what you're doing. So go to bombas.com slash schmanners today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash schmanners for 20% off. Bombas.com slash schmanners. Now, speaking of feeling great, let's talk about Quip. You brush, you floss, and then what? You might, you know, I don't know, sing a song to yourself, make a smiley face in the mirror, but if you didn't say rinse, then you might not be getting the complete clean. Quip has launched a new mouthwash to help you complete your clean. It comes with a refillable dispenser that's really cool and looks really cool on the bathroom counter, and I love the mouthwash. It tastes good. It doesn't burn. You won't dread using it. And it like it the action on the dispenser, which is such a weird thing to say, but the action on it is so good. I promise you. And it looks great, especially if you have the whole Quip set. They all look good together because along with the mouthwash, Quip also delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months for just $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of shopping in store. And if you go to getquip.com slash schmanners5 right now, you get $5 off a mouthwash starter kit. That's $5 off a mouthwash starter kit, which includes the refillable dispenser and a 90-dose supply of Quip's four times concentrated formula at getquip.com slash schmanners5. That's the number five. So it's spelled out G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash schmanners and then the number five. Quip the Good Habits Company. This message is for Victoria, and it's from your family. Victoria, we are so proud of you. You did an amazing job on your degree and are going to go on to create such creative and um, wonderful projects. We hope we aren't embarrassing you in front of your favorite podcasters. Smoochy, 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 big smoochy, smoochy. <clears throat> That's very lovely, Victoria. Your family is great. I hope you're not embarrassed. Congratulations. Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, he's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the Ebony Entrantress myself, <laughs> Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things 
we're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan-tie you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. Everybody, I'm so excited. Uh, Teresa isn't able to join us for this part because she is uh, attending to other shmerly duties. But uh, joining me today, uh, a drag performer of great renown based here in the Cincinnati area, uh, the Lady Phaedra. Hello, Lady Phaedra. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, We have so many great questions. But before we get to the questions, I did want to ask, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Like what kind of uh, shows you do, what your uh, favorite part of, of doing drag is, how you got started, all those things. Oh, goodness. How long have you got? <laughs> as long as you need. Oh, well, brace yourself, darling. <laughs> um, well, I perform in Cincinnati mostly. Um, I produce uh, my own show, which is referred to as The Sideshow, and it is a drag variety show. So I like to think of my show as not your mother's drag show. You can go to any club on any night of any week and see drag queens doing, you know, top 40 hits and bucking and twirling and doing all those things on stage. And that's wonderful, but I like to keep things interesting. So I introduce elements of burlesque, of live music, of comedy. Like you never really know what we've got up our sleeves until you get to the show. And where can people see the sideshow here in Cincinnati? They can see the sideshow at the Cabaret, which is downtown on Walnut Street, 1122 Walnut Street. Perfect. Yeah, twice monthly on Thursdays. So how did you get started? How did you get started doing the show? Oh, uh, how did I get started doing the show? Or how did I get started doing drag? I mean, both, really, yeah. (laughs) I actually started doing drag on a dare. It's actually kind of amusing. Um, When I was studying in college, and I studied, you know, theatrical arts, no big shocker there, it shouldn't be, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of our fellow students was celebrating their 21st birthday, and we asked them what they wanted, and he said that he wanted a stripper to jump out of a cake. Well, being a bunch of broke college kids, we certainly couldn't afford that. So we decided to put our own spin on things, and they just dolled me up and had me jump out of a giant gift box. (laughs) And that's how Phaedra was born. And you've been doing it ever since. Excellent. Yes, much to the dismay of everyone. Okay, well, uh, we got some questions. Wonderful. From our listeners. First, Sarah Wells wants to know, so I've never been to a drag show before, and I don't have any friends who would be willing to go with me. You need to make new friends. Any advice for someone who wants to go to a drag show alone? Uh, Step one, get new friends. Yes. Step two, don't be afraid to do things by yourself, darling. It's okay to be a party of one. Now, trust me, like I'm sure that you'll have a fantastic time no matter what. And if you need to, I mean, hell, come to the show by yourself and I'll introduce you to new friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not bashful at all. So I'll just drag you around by the wrist and be like, hi, everyone. This is Sarah Wells. She's fantastic. Talk to her. <laughs> that is a, Okay, so that's a good question. For Sarah, who's never been to one before, just like in general, if Sarah's showing up for the first time, what are some ways to like, immediately feel like you're part of the action and that you, you know, that you're not just like an observer? One of my biggest, uh, well, I guess one of the most important things that I can do as a hostess is ingratiate myself to my audience. And I find that the easiest way to do that is to be out among the crowd before the show starts greeting people as they come in. Like I, I will float around from like the cabaret is set up like a, like a show bar. So there are tables where the audience sits 
and then a staging area. I'll walk around from table to table, uh, introduce myself to people I don't know, um, ask them if they're celebrating anything special or if, they're, if this is their first time visiting. So I find that ingratiating myself to the audience is a, is a huge and important part of being a hostess. And would you say that that is kind of a standard experience of that, like, everybody, we, we, you know, you want people to feel welcome? I do. I want everyone in my to enter my space feeling that they are not only welcome, but they are safe and they can be comfortable and relax and have a good time. That's wonderful. So Reese asks, how do new drag queens get invited to uh, participate in drag shows? My drag has only been done in the context of professional wrestling, so I don't know how I would go about getting myself known outside of that sphere and into the mainstream drag sphere. That is an excellent question, Reese. Um, in my day when I was up and coming, and I'm you know older than dirt, so things have definitely changed, what we did was we would show up to drag shows fully dressed and ready to go with music on hand, and you would just hope that the show's hostess would spot you in the crowd and say, hey, would you like to do a hot spot, which is just like a one-off unpaid appearance for tips. And you would have your music ready to go. You would hand it to them. You know, we would carry around CDs in my day, I know. Right. <laughs> I can't imagine what else. Would, do people carry around thumb drives now? For, yeah. Like links to Spotify playlists? What's happening? Right now you can carry a thumb drive or you could, you know, if, if the DJ is able to plug your phone into their sound system, you can do it that way. Oh, boy. Um, but you would just hope to get noticed. And then if they liked what they saw when you did your hotspot, it would often result in a booking. Nowadays, there are a lot of what are called open stages where amateur drag entertainers can go and basically get their names out there. Sort of like an open mic night kind of thing? Yes, precisely. Oh, cool. Uh, let's see. Speaking of tipping, Bonk asks, am I supposed to tip a drag performer at a nightclub, and when is the best time to tip a performer? Um, yes. As the mother of all drag queens, Dolly Parton herself once quipped, it costs a lot to look this cheap. We rely on the generosity of the audience to be able to keep affording what we do. We take those tips and we reinvest them into our craft. So it helps us pay for new costumes, new wigs, new jewelry, shoes, the whole nine yards. And I can't tell you the number of pairs of tights I go through in a year's time. <laughs> <laughs> so all that money gets reinvested into the craft. So yes, absolutely always tip your drag entertainers. As I always say during my shows, when we're on stage, if you like what you see, tip us a couple of dollars. If you don't like what you see, tip us twice as much so we can afford to make it better. There you go. When <laughs> when should they be tipping? Is it after the performance? Is it like... Uh, most drag queens move about the room in some way during their performance and can collect tips. So if you've got cash, which is the general accepted way of doing things at a drag show, when you're tipping cash, just hold it up high, believe me, we can smell a dollar bill, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> now, now, I have a question as a fellow performer. Yes, sir. Is it a... Are you paid for your appearance and tips? Like if someone's getting started, right? What's a good mm -hmm. deal versus like them being taken advantage of by the venue? Excellent question. Most drag queens, when they are booked in a show, are paid what's called a booking fee, which is basically what we pay to, we are paid to just walk in the door and be there. Um, often it is, I don't know what the average is. It really, it often varies from entertainer to entertainer. So I don't want to quote a number and sound like I'm lowballing anybody because there's a lot of ridiculous talent out there and everybody kind of like charges based on their experience and, mm -hmm. and various other things. But yes, we are often paid a booking fee and then we get to also, of course, keep the tips that we earn during our performances. Okay, yeah. So young people getting started, 
if you're out there, I guess anybody getting started, if you're out there and you aren't getting a booking fee and you've been performing regularly, you need to ask about a booking fee, right? Yeah, yes, okay. you should You should ask about a booking fee. You should absolutely, it's important for every entertainer from any side of what we do, any side of the entertainment crafting world, like know your worth and ask for it. <laughs> there you go. So we got a couple questions. Uh, these are from Miriam and Taylor, uh, both basically the same thing, which is, uh, what pronouns are are best to use for drag queens, kings, performer in question? Uh, great question. And if all else fails, ask that entertainer personally. Um, myself, when I'm not in drag, when I'm not on the drag stage in my daily life, I prefer masculine pronouns, he, him. When I am in drag and on stage, um, I prefer feminine pronouns, she, her. However, I don't really make a fuss if anybody gets that wrong. There are a lot of entertainers I've worked with who don't know me in my daily life. They only know me as Phaedra. So they might use feminine pronouns all the time. And I don't really raise a fuss about that. But we do have a lot of wonderful uh, trans entertainers who might be a little more insistent on using the proper pronouns, as they should be. So if all else fails, just ask the entertainer in question. A good rule in general. Yes. Um, Gray asked, I'm autistic and I love drag shows so much, but the element of audience participation really terrifies me. Is there a way I can signal to the performer that I shouldn't be interacted with that doesn't make me look like a total buzzkill? <laughs> that is a wonderful question. And believe me, I can totally understand your reticence. You know, that really is an interesting question. As I said before, I like to get to know my audience a little bit before the show begins. So I'm out there. If a hostess stops by to speak to you, if you're comfortable speaking with the hostess when she comes to say hello, um, it's absolutely okay to tell her that. It is 100% okay to be honest if you're comfortable being honest. No one's going to think you a buzzkill. I promise. You're there, you're supporting us, and we are so happy that you're there and supporting us and want you to continue doing so. So it is our job to make you as comfortable as possible. And if that means leaving you alone, it's okay to say, please leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> In the politest way possible, yeah. And also, I will I will say that the, the nearer you sit to the stage, the closer you are to the hostess's uh, quote-unquote firing line. If you're in my eyesight, I'm more likely to interact directly with you. Now, that doesn't really mean much because I have terrible eyesight. So, <laughs> so spotlights in my eyes. I don't. I don't see very far past the first table. But, <laughs> but, if, but you know, the, the further away you are from the hostess's side, the less likely she is to you know call on you. Um, and this is just uh, in general. If you don't want to participate in something, this is advice we give all the time. Remember, a kind of playful like "Oh no, I don't" makes it seem like you do want to. You're just a little embarrassed versus right. just like a "No, thank you." Right? Right. So it's a very direct and clear "No, thank you." Right. There. I mean, there are there are pleasant and polite ways to handle almost any uncomfortable situation. There you go. Uh, Buds asked, what's the best music for a drag show? Has the music evolved over the years? Ooh, see, that's a good question too, because every entertainer, every drag entertainer has their own style. Um, myself, I look to the classic divas. I love performing Shirley Bassey and I've done Eartha Kit numbers and, you know, all those iconic, you know, women who have, who have just made these fantastic names for themselves and created fantastic art for us to interpret. 
Um, but there are a lot of younger queens who stick to the top 40 songs, the popular artists of today, like, you know, like Lizzo and Cardi B and Beyonce. And that's wonderful, too. It varies by entertainer. And also, a lot of times it varies by production and by venue. It's really a question of, and this, again, goes back to getting to know your audience. It's a question of being able to read the room and know what your audience has come to see. So I have a question now because mm -hmm. you like just talking about that has made me think about this question. How would you say real life drag shows differ from or are similar to what you see like in TV shows and movies and that kind of thing? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, we have a lot of people whose first exposure to drag culture has been through RuPaul's Drag Race. So they come to the show often with a misconception of what drag culture really is. You have to remember that, you know, I, you know, that RuPaul's Drag Race is a television show and it's a, it's a semi-scripted reality show. Like everything there is staged. It's not, it's not a true accurate representation of drag culture because it's a competition show too. Like they're there to conform to whatever they need to conform to, to take home the title. Um, Real drag culture has many, many facets. Um, there are entertainers out there who like to, you know, pass, as they say. Like, you know, there are entertainers out there who rely strictly on camp for their, to create their look and their material. There are spooky entertainers out there who are also wonderful. Like, there are just so many different facets to drag. It's hard to, it's hard to, accurately represent it in a, in a 30 minute television program. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see, one last question here from listeners. Uh, Adam asked, I'm a straight man, I've always been involved in theater and performance culture, and I want to enjoy a drag show. I am always aware of not trying to put myself in spaces that I uh, do not necessarily belong. Are drag shows for everyone, or is it more LGBTQIA plus only? Thank you for using the the uh, complete alphabet soup there, Ange. <laughs> Adam, it is my job to make everybody in my space feel welcome. If you want to come to the drag show, I want you there. Yeah. Everybody is welcome. I, As I often say, and I do hear a lot of, of people in the community, and this is very sad. It breaks my heart when people say that they don't feel like straight people belong in our spaces. My response to that is often... If you want to be included, you have to be inclusive. You can't cry discrimination and cry for equity under the law if you are going to turn around and tell people that they can't come in your clubhouse. You have to take equality in both directions. So don't ever feel like you don't belong in a space. And if anybody ever makes you feel like you don't belong in a space, you tell me and I'll go set them straight. <laughs> and, and also, Adam, tip well. Well, yeah. yeah. As long as you're there taking good care of your bartenders and always, always, always take good care of your bartenders and taking good care of your entertainers and you're just there to relax and have a good time, no one's going to care. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, checking your sexuality at the door. Like if you're if you want to come in, honey, come in, have a good time. OK, so before we wrap up um, first, any kind of like general advice or anything you want to say to the listeners before we finish? Uh, just keep sparkling, darlings. Be your authentic selves. Do the things that make you happy. Um, keep supporting local drag. Believe me, because of this pandemic, the entertainment scene as a whole took a very hard hit, and that includes your favorite drag queen. So now that things are easing up, please go out, support your local girls. Without local drag, there would be no RuPaul's Drag Race. They all started off as local queens. Um, and just 
take care of each other. It's, and we've been through a roller coaster in the last year and a half, and we're all struggling because of it. Like we've all taken a very hard mental health hit. So look after each other, check in on people. And question two, before we let you go, remind us where we can see your show. Uh, if you want to plug any social media things or anything you want to plug, this is your sure. chance. Sure, absolutely. Feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is Statuesque Moose. Feel free to follow me at the Lady Phaedra on Twitter. Um, you can also catch me twice a month at the Cabaret, producing my sideshow. And also just keep your eyes peeled because I've got lots of great projects in the works. I've got my YouTube channel is up and running, Phaedra's Sideshow. And there's lots of great material heading your way. So keep your eyes peeled. And we'll include links to all that stuff in the episode description. Thank you so much, Lady Phaedra, for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. And my pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Thank you for having me. So, hey, it's us again. Here we are. Uh, we want to say thank you, a big, huge thank you to Lady Phaedra. Make sure you check out the Sideshow twice a month here in Cincinnati at the Cabaret uh, down on Walnut, um, which I believe is at Below Zero. But anyways, check that out. Make sure you go. Uh, thank you to Alex, without whom yes, we would not be able you. to make this show. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions. Uh, who suggested this topic again? Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And we also want to say a big thank you to James for doing a sensitivity consultation for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Max Fun, our podcast home. Thank you to you for listening and telling a friend about this. Go check out McElroy.family for all the other McElroy projects. You can go to McElroy Merch to check out all the McElroyMerch.com. Mm. Um, and we have a couple items there, a pen of the month, and a t-shirt that the proceeds go to benefit the Trevor Project. We always thank Brent, Brentafloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That's at SchmannersCast. That's where we got all of the questions for the, the question segment. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanner. So go and check that out if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans. And I think that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. Uh, this is a game we've played called Cotton Candy Chicken Nuggets, where you have to sing any eight-syllable phrase to the tune of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You have an example, Manolo? Yeah, here's one. Little baby turkey turnips. Oh, nice. Thanks. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out. Please. <laughs>